Romans 8, verses 12 to 27. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that, that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons to redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. We're starting with verse 14. Porque los hijos de Dios son todos aquellos que son guiados por el Espíritu de Dios. Pues ustedes han recibido un Espíritu que los esclavice nuevamente al medio, sino han recibido el Espíritu de adopción, por el cual alabamos Abba Padre. El Espíritu mismo da testimonio a nuestro Espíritu de que somos hijos de Dios, y si somos hijos también herederos, herederos de Dios y coherederos con Cristo. Si es que padecemos juntamente con Él, para que juntamente con Él seamos glorificados. Pues no tengo dudas que las aflicciones del tiempo presente en nada se comparan con la gloria vinidera que habrá de revelarse en nosotros, porque la creación aguarda con gran impaciencia la manifestación de los hijos de Dios, porque la creación que fue sujeta a vanidad, no por su propia voluntad, sino porque así lo dispuso Dios. Pero todavía tiene esperanza, pues también la creación misma será liberada de la esclavitud de corrupción, para así alcanzar la libertad gloriosa, gloriosa de los hijos de Dios. Porque sabemos que todas las creaciones está ahora, gime a una y sufre como si tuviera dolores de parto. Y no solo ella, sino también nosotros, que tenemos la premisa del Espíritu. 
Géminos dentro de nosotros mismos mientras esperamos la adopción, la redención de nuestro cuerpo. Porque con esa esperanza fuimos salvados. Pero la esperanza que se ve ya no es esperanza. Porque ¿quién espera lo que ya viene? Pero si lo que esperamos es algo que todavía no vemos... Tenemos que esperarlo con paciencia. Da igual manera. El Espíritu nos ayuda en nuestra debilidad. Pues no sabemos que nos conviene pedir. Pero el Espíritu mismo intercede por nosotros con gemidos indecibles. Pero el que examina los corazones sabe ¿Cuál es la intención del Espíritu? Porque intercede por los santos conforme a la voluntad de Dios. Palabra del Señor. So why do we do that? Why do we do Spanish every week? Here's why. In that two and a half extra minutes it takes to read the text in Spanish, we offer a bridge to our community. It's one thing to tell people you're welcome here, but not actually provide a way for them to enter in. And in that little two and a half minutes, we're extending a bridge out into our community. And my hope is that we, as we get this down and as we grow, we're going to have to speak a lot more languages. So we'll have to think that through. I don't know how that's going to work, um, but, but that's why we do it, because we want to be God's blended family. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the God of all the nations. Uh, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And yet now we don't see everything in subjection to your feet. So we long for the kingdom to grow. We long for the gospel to be proclaimed. And we want to be changed as we pursue your purposes. I pray this morning that each one of us would walk away with fresh power, with broader perspective, and with new hope because of what Christ has done for us. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Problems. And promises, problems and promises, or promises and problems. When you first became a Christian, you did not quite realize what you were signing up for. Why are y'all laughing? Because you know it's true. When you became a Christian, you thought it was one thing, and it ended up being a lot harder than you ever thought it was ever going to be. Someone say amen. 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 Okay, everyone knows that's true. When we become Christians, we are committing to a lot of things that we don't realize the full breadth of those things. We're committing to fight sin in our life as we say no to ourselves and yes to God. We're committing to love our neighbor. We're committing to share the gospel. We're, we're committing to so many things, and we're also committing to persevere through problems. You and I have lots of problems that are in our way. If the Christian life is a race, and it's a marathon if it's a race, every time we're taking a step, we're having to jump over something that's a problem in the way. And there's all sorts of problems. There, there's the problems of finding sin in your life, and what do you do? There's the problem of conflict, and how do you enter into conflict as a Christian? There's so many problems that we could sit here and just list them. But often what happens when we encounter those problems is we think something's wrong. We think something's abnormal. We think that God has messed up. 
because of the problems that we encounter in our life. When we became Christians, we somehow magically thought that our lives would get better, (laughs) that the problems would go away. And what we've actually found is that there's more problems in our life as we follow Jesus, okay? Now, here's what we tend to do. Because of the problems in our lives, you and I think that there's something wrong with God and there's something wrong with his promises. And because of the problems in our lives, we go, God's promises must not be working. They must not be working or it wouldn't be this challenging because it's so challenging and it is so hard to follow Jesus. What we're going to see in this passage is new perspective on our problems by taking a different look at the promises. We think that the promises don't work because of the problems we encounter. But God's promises give us power to persevere, not out of the problems, but in the midst of the problems. God's promises give us power to persevere through the problems and in the problems, not necessarily out of the problems. And that power comes from understanding our position with God. It comes from gaining new perspective on God's plan. And it comes from understanding the presence of God with us. So position, perspective, and presence all help us in the midst of our problems. So let's talk about position first. One of the things that we can't help but do is when we have problems, we define our relationship with God by the problems we encounter. So there's all this stuff happening in my life, and all this stuff happening in my life tells me something about God and his posture towards me. So if I'm having trials, it must mean that God doesn't really love me. If I'm having hardships, it must mean that God has forgotten about me. If, if I'm having difficulties every day, it must mean that God doesn't see what I'm going through. And we let the problems in our life define the position with God. When what God wants us to see is the position with him defines the problems. Our position with him defines the problems. And your position with him is this. If you know Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. There's some confusion over what it means to be a child of God in our culture. Some people say we're we're all God's children, and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. We were born into this world at odds with God. We we were born in this world with a nature that rebelled against God, and, and, and we just ran right along with it. We were born into this world wanting stuff from God, but not wanting God. We wanted his good gifts, but we did not want his good presence because we wanted to use his good gifts in the way that we wanted. We're born at odds with God. He is our creator, but we are not born as his children. And God looks at all that and says, look, you are using my stuff, but you're not using it according to my design. And you can't let that pass. You know, an artist doesn't look at his artwork and and let someone else use it the way that they wanted it to be used and let that pass. God doesn't let our misuse of his creation pass by either. He says, look, you can't enjoy everything I made and then ignore me because I made it. 
Everything I made reflects me, and I have created you most deeply to enjoy relationship with me. And he calls it for what it is. It is rebellion against our creator. And that leaves us in this place with God where he is not our father. He is the judge. And he brings judgment against us. And the first judgment he brings is separation. If you're not going to follow my way, then we are separated. You are not part of my plan. And that's why all of us know that God's out there, but we don't really know what he's like. We're sort of guessing. It also leads us to a physical separation. If we're separated from God and separated from his plan, then when we die, our bodies and our spirits separate. That was never part of his purpose. But when we rebelled, sin entered the world, and the way our bodies and souls work was broken. And if we leave this life in that state with our body and soul separated, what the scriptures tell us is we face eternal separation from God. We face eternity apart from God. You know, I say this all the time, what about me? I, I do good. And I know that you do good in your, in your family and in your home. And, and you're probably a good person compared to your neighbor. But doing good things does not restore your relationship with God. Right? It does not restore your relationship with God. Only God can restore the relationship. And the irony is, although we're not children, but we're creation, Jesus, who's not creation, but God's child, is the one who comes and restores the relationship. Jesus comes as a substitute. God the Father sends God the Son. Jesus, who's not created, who's God, but fully man, the perfect Son, as our substitute. And he goes to the cross in our place. He's put there to die in your and my place and punished there. The scriptures actually say that the father turns his back away from the son. That was meant to be us. The relationship that we've broken with the father, the punishment for that gets put on Jesus, and the father turns his back on the son. And it's the most painful moment of Jesus' existence because he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in Jesus being forsaken, we are accepted if we put faith in him. He was rejected. You are accepted. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. Now, right now, he sits at the right hand of the Father in power. In power. And the good news for you and I is if we believe that, when Jesus was rejected and we were accepted, we weren't just accepted, we were adopted. Adopted as the children of God. And that's one of the things Paul wants us to see right off the bat when he talks about position. Position. In the ancient uh, Greco-Roman world, which this letter that we're studying was written to, adoption had a little bit of a different flavor than it does today. A father would adopt a son into the family. And the point of adoption was that the son would carry on the family name. In other words, the son was chosen to represent the family. But not only that, the son was chosen to be adopted into the family so that they could inherit everything that the father had to offer. It is possible that even 
if the father already had a son and a new son was adopted, that that new son might enjoy a deeper affection from the father and a deeper sense of purpose in carrying out the family name than the original son. And that's what God is holding out for you in Christ. You are being invited not just to have your past erased with forgiveness, not just to have some sort of loose relationship with God, but to live with intimacy with the Father or with the God of the universe as your Father. As your Father. Verse 15 says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When you place faith in Christ, you go from this place of God being your judge to God being your dad. You go from the courtroom with God to the family table with him. And rather than his justice being poured out on you, you receive his love and affection. And God cares so much about you understanding your position as a child of God that he puts his spirit in you to convince you that that's what you really are. You are a child and God is your father. Verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, part of the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit is that he is in you to convince you that God is your father. There's a story of a true story of a woman who, when she was a young girl, had a problematic relationship with her father. A problematic relationship with her father. And she was just a teenager at the time, and, and her and her father did not get along very well. And on one particular night, they got into an argument, into a disagreement. And as teenagers do, she responded to that argument with immaturity. She responded to that argument with immaturity. She, she tossed an Elmer's glue bottle at her father. But her father responded as she did and threw the glue bottle right back at her. And in anger, knowing that she had acted immaturely, but looking at her dad and cannot believe that her dad would throw the glue bottle right back at her, she stormed out of the house, slammed the door, and walked into the night. And in that, that moment when she was walking down the sidewalk and walking through the street, she had the realization that her dad had the maturity level that she had. In other words, I'm a teenager, I make dumb decisions, but my dad is acting like me. And in that moment, she began to realize, I just can't expect my dad to really be a dad. I wish that when I had thrown the glue bottle at him, he would have fathered me instead of acting like a teenager right back at me. And she began to realize, I can't count on my father to be my father because he doesn't have maturity to be a dad. And I'm sure the feelings at that moment were lonely. But as she's processing these thoughts and coming to conclusions about her own lack of a father, there was something in her that she became convinced of. She became deeply convinced in that moment that God was her father. She would later say, it was so clear it could have been audible. I, it was so clear in my spirit I could have heard it. it. It's real. God is my father. And she said, I knew. At that moment, 
I knew, and it changed my life. The Spirit let me know so deeply that I never forgot it. Now, her problems did not go away with her father. But the position that God was convincing her of in her spirit changed the way she related to her father. She says, I was able to accept my father the way he was because I knew he wasn't perfect, but I have the perfect heavenly father. Deep in her spirit, she was convinced by the Holy Spirit that she was a child of the king. And it changed her. And that realization isn't held out for the spiritually elite or the super Christians or the people who have their, really, their prayer life really, really down well. It's for every Christian. It's for everyone who believes in Jesus. It's for you that the Spirit's in you. And one of his jobs is to convince you that God is your father and you are his child. It is so important that we understand that this is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian, God as Father. In fact, it's so important, J.I. Packer said, you can understand if someone understands Christianity by how much they make of the thought of being God's child. You can understand if they really mean what it means to follow Jesus by how much they make of having God as Father. We are meant to have a deep assurance and confidence that because of what Jesus did, we are adopted. And we have rights and privileges with God. The text says that we're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. And what that means is you have rights to God right now. You have been legally adopted into, your, into his family. The God of the universe is now your father. But you also have rights to a renewed world later on. You see, we're not only just heirs of God, but we're fellow heirs with Jesus. And, and one day, Jesus will come back and make all things new. And what the text is telling us is that we have a right to that world, not because you and I are good people, but because Jesus has died in our place and risen from the dead. Rights to God now, but rights to God's renewed world later along with our brother, Jesus. But in that very moment where it secures us of our position, it sort of tells us how to see our problems. Because in verse 17, it says, all this is true, provided you suffer with him in order that you might also be glorified with him. In other words, it's saying something so simple. It's saying, listen, if you're in Jesus Jesus walked through problems on this earth and was glorified later. And if you're in him, you're going to walk through problems on this earth and you're going to be glorified later. So don't expect to be promoted out of your problems. Don't expect to be promoted out of your problems. We think that somehow God is supposed to promote us out of the normal Christian life to this spot where we don't have to worry about anything happening in our life. Where we're, we're, we have, no longer have hardship. We no longer have trials. But what this is saying is you don't get promoted out of that. You're promoted into it. <laughs> You're promoted into it. In Christ, you are saved, forgiven, adopted as a child of God, and you walk in this earth as Jesus walked, facing problems and hardship and suffering. And if that's true, we can't give our problems the power 
to define our position with God. Problems are normal for the Christian, but your position is defined by the promise that you are adopted as a child of God. What do we do? What do we do as we walk through those problems? It's difficult. We're going to forget this as soon as we walk out of the door. We're going, to, we're going to get caught up in our problems. And what Paul says next is, well, then you need perspective. You need perspective. We need to draw some hope from a bigger picture. In verse 18, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the now, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's almost as if you're running the Christian race and you're just getting held up by your problems and you're hurdling over them and you're just kind of slowing down, taking a breather, and you're discouraged. And Paul comes up next to you and says, let's get on my shoulders for a minute. I want to show you something. And you climb up on Paul's shoulders and he holds your hand so you don't fall over and maybe you step on his ear on the way up. But Paul says, look down the road. And you look down and you're, well, there's another problem that I'm going to face. There's more problems. And Paul says, no, that's not far enough. Look further down the road. And you look down the road and, and you say, is that my funeral? And Paul says, yes, but look further down the road. And you look down the road and, and, and you see this line. You say, what's that line? And Paul says, that, that's the line where you cross over into glory. That's the line of glory. But, but keep looking. And you look further down the road, and it's faint. You can't really see the details, but you see the outline of a city that's lighted and glorious. And as you're on Paul's shoulders looking on your tippy toes, all of a sudden you hear a glorious cheer of joy. You say, Paul, what's that? And he says, well, keep looking. And the crowd parts, and out from the middle comes a man, glorious and beaming with light, a smile on his face, seated on a throne. Paul, what is that? What are those people cheering about? And Paul says, those are the adopted children of God. Those are the ones who have been resurrected from the dead, and once they were resurrected, they were acquitted. They're not guilty because what Jesus has done and in that moment you're seeing is where their adoption is finalized. They are seeing God the Father and God the Son face to face. And he is wiping every tear from their eyes. And you're watching the moment where they begin reigning and ruling in the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus, the King. And you say, Paul, what is that? And Paul says, that is all things being made new. Amen. And you say, Paul, what, tell me about that city. What's that new city? And Paul says, don't ask me that because your pastor is going to be frustrated if you don't know what that new city is. That's the name of our church for those of you who don't know. And you climb down off Paul's shoulders and you look at him and you say, I want that. I want it. I want to be there. I want that now. And Paul says, now, problems. But don't forget on the other side of that is glory. It's King Jesus. It's all things being made new. 
as you face your problems, keep all things new in your mind. Be reminded of the end of the story. Take perspectives because here what Paul wants us to have is a glimpse of what's coming and that's meant to create longing in us. Longing in us. In fact, he says that we not only long, but the creation itself longs for all things to be made new. The creation is subject to death and decay and while it's beautiful, I I can't help but look at palm trees every time I drive by one At the same time, palm trees die, and they get knocked over by hurricanes. And this world is a broken place, and things do not work as they were meant to. And creation longs for us to be revealed as the children of God on that day, because when that day comes, we will not only have our adoption finalized, but creation will be set right and flourish the way it was intended to. There will be no more death. Jesus will be on the throne and we will reign with him and we'll be his stewards. In other words, it'll be like a picture back to the garden before Adam and Eve sinned. We're we're working with creation and there's no frustration. There's no enmity. There's no sin. And we are unleashed to be the people that we were created to be. And the text says that creation longs for that day. But it's hard. It's hard to live now. I think today should be a reminder that it's harder than ever to live in the now. You remember 9-11? This is a broken world and broken things happen in this broken world. And as I, I took a moment just to reflect on the fact that I long for that, but I live here. It produced in me some groanings, just thinking about what I want to be and what actually is. And here's a few things that came to my mind like this, September 11th, that a man was shot in Pompano six times in the back just a few days ago, that dozens and dozens, even hundreds of children in Broward County need foster parents. That has caused me to grow. And I've grown as I've watched some of you groaning over the loss of people in your life. We've had deaths from extended family in our congregation. And watching you grieve has caused me to groan. And as I look at sin still present around us and in us and in me, I groan. But we're meant to go, you know what? Your best life is not now. This life is not even your best life. There's no best life in this life. Your best life is coming, though. And you can count on it. And so as we face the problems in this life, seeing all things new is meant to give us perspective. And that perspective is meant to give us hope right here and right now. Whatever problem you're in the middle of, whatever trial is in your path, whatever hardship you're carrying The hope of the future is meant to give you perspective now. And you have the spirit living in you to help you. As a down payment of the world to come, but also to empower you in this world. Paul tells us that if we know that's coming, we wait patiently. We wait patiently. Because we know it is going to happen. 
Now, Christians have taken this and, and distorted it and saying, well, if we wait patiently, that means this. I'm just going to sit down and wait for the end of time and do nothing. And that's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, listen, if you ever had a reason to get off your backside and engage the problems of this world, it's the fact that all things are going to be made new. So don't just sit down and wait for heaven. In fact, run towards the problems, run towards the brokenness with the hope that you have. I couldn't help but thinking of, of Christians in comparison to those brave firemen on 9-11. I saw a video and it got to me and the video was of people going down the stairs, running for their lives, and firemen going up the stairs into the very middle of the problem. And many brave men lost their lives that day but it's also an intriguing image for us to think about us not running away, but running towards the problems because of the hope we have of the world to come. Not being disengaged from the brokenness on our streets, but actually engaging, walking into it, walking towards it, knowing that there is a solution, and that solution is Jesus, and Jesus making all things new. So who needs that hope? Your friend? your neighbor, a particular issue in this city, God's answer is you, with the hope of all things new in you. Christians engage in the problems of this world with the hope of the world to come. And one of the main ways that we do that is through prayer. Prayer is not just preparation for ministry, it is actual ministry. We pray all things new, into this world of broken things. That's the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that new city, we're praying all things new into this present moment. We're trying to bring all things into the Lordship of Christ. And as you do that, you will be stretched in prayer. You're straddling in one sense between two worlds. You're imagining the world to come, and then you're seeing the present realities, and that is going to pull on you. You're going to, at times, be overwhelmed by the problems of this world. You're going to be so longing for the city to come, but restless because you're living in the here and in the now. You're going to be holding on to the promises of God, but living in a broken body. You're going to be pulled between the world to come and this world. And sometimes, if we're honest, we run out of gas to pray. Sometimes being pulled in tension between those two things is just too exhausting, and you have nothing more to say. We pray when we're weak, but sometimes we're too weak to pray. We don't know how or what to pray, and all we can do is... And in that is, I'm tired of here and I want to be there. Romans 8 gives us something interesting to chew on. In those very moments where we... Paul is telling us that the Holy Spirit is there and here interceding on our behalf. That that prayerful groaning of longing and frustration is actually God's Spirit working in us. 
working within us to present prayers to God that we can't even fully articulate. The language of groaning in this passage suggests that the prayer has almost an incapacity, a disability, an inability to pray because of the world they're living in and the longing for the world and the next. But in the midst of that, God understands, hears, and answers our in ways that we have no idea how it works. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us, and that should give us a deep confidence in the problems we face. Because God is present in ways in our problems that we could never imagine. If the Holy Spirit is working in us and groaning through us, it means that no matter what we face, God is present with us in the problems. So why wouldn't we move towards the problems? Towards the problems we face in our life, towards the problems our neighbors face, towards the problems that we see in our city. Why wouldn't we move towards those with prayer? Because even as we see the brokenness and the frustration and we're limited by prayer, God is not limited by our limited prayer. We can know that God is present as we groan when we see the problems. So for you today, don't give up when you see your problems. Don't quit when you face difficulties and hardships. Don't walk the other way when there's a hardship or a trial in your, in your way. Persevere. Keep at it. Don't quit. Walk with confidence because God's promises give us power in the midst of the problems. And that power comes from our position as adopted children. It comes from perspective as we see all things new. And it comes with knowing that the Holy Spirit is present with us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for everything that you have done for us and you've done in us and that you've promised to do in this world. We long for the day when you will return and make all things new. When we, we ask that you would come quickly, that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus, and make things right, Father. But thank you for everyone's here, everyone here, Father. If you're pulling or tugging or deepening uh, us in any way, Lord, may we be submitted and open to that and open to your deep love for us. Lord, make us a people who hope in the darkest of circumstances because you give us an everlasting hope. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.